law enforcement agents often have higher risk of suicide for a few reasons. One reason is that they are likely to see more trauma or things that are potentially traumatic. Given that they are first responders, they might deal with everything from a barricade to a suicide, to a homicide, to a, a gang situation or some sort of a riot. So they, they are in more dangerous situations compared to your average civilian. They also carry firearms. Now, access to firearms is something that increases one's risk for suicide. That's Dr. Kent Corso, a behavioral psychologist being interviewed on a recent episode of the CBP Suicide Awareness and Prevention Podcast, which if you haven't yet, go check that one out next. Dr. Corso is the head of CBP's Suicide Prevention Program. He was asked why suicide is such a big issue in law enforcement, and specifically in CBP. Within CBP, there may be some additional factors that pertain to its mission. So it has a national security mission. They are sometimes out and about dealing with very difficult situations for which there is no standard operating procedure. They are other times dealing with members of the public and they're squeezed between, let's just say, high quality customer service and zero error in terms of ensuring national security. At the same time, we've never seen a time in our history, and we still are a young organization, but we've never seen a time in our history where this agency and its mission has been so politicized. And so you have political pressures that, of course, when the political winds shift, so do those pressures. And so employees may find themselves scratching their heads at times with confusion about what is my purpose here in this organization? What am I trying to accomplish? What is the ultimate mission here? And what is right? And what is wrong? And, and that, that may take on some, some shades of gray. It may look differently depending on the way the political winds blow. It's also true that we are seeing unprecedented levels of migration to our southern border. Uh, certainly the geopolitical climate is unique. We're coming off of a world pandemic. So all of these things combined increase the demands on our workforce. And frankly, it's the same size workforce, but with many more demands and more complex demands. Because of this, CBP's Wellness and Resilience Division manages several programs to support CBP's workforce and their families, like the chaplaincy and peer support programs a network of peers that are trained and available to provide psychological, emotional, and spiritual support to coworkers and their families during difficult times. Uh, it allows them to reach out to somebody, to talk to someone, and have confidentiality between both the, the chaplain and the employees or their families. That's Program Manager Rich Mitzel, chaplain for Office of Field Operations, Buffalo Field Office. Um, and with the chaplaincy program, you know, like the peer support program, they both run kind of down a parallel track. But with the chaplaincy program, it allows you the ability to to add that spiritual element into it. Uh, many people, uh, you know, do have beliefs. Uh, we are all encompassing. We are ecumenical. Uh, we are not of certain denominations. Uh, so we are always there to to accept everyone at all times. 
One program specific to our military veterans, the Veteran Support Program, or VSP, has been developed to provide assistance on a variety of veteran-related matters pertaining to veteran employment benefits, as well as the mental, physical, and emotional health resources available through CBP and other federal, state, and local entities. To talk more about it, here's the VSP coordinator for the Buffalo Field Office, Mike Saya. A few years ago, our workforce was consisted approximately of about 25% of veterans. Currently, we're at about 30% of veterans within our workforce. So when the program first started here in Buffalo, um, we had a bunch of resources in our area, but we didn't have anybody to help navigate our veterans to those resources. We were able to properly vet and establish this network of resources for our veterans that we can turn to regardless of what the situation is, regardless of what our veterans are going through. There is a local resource that we can direct them to or that we can provide ourselves to help them navigate any veteran-related matter going on within their life, whether it's family issues or disability benefits or substance abuse, mental health. Um, the Veteran Support Program is all-encompassing for all the needs of a veteran um, in today's world. The very first veteran I helped, um, after all was said and done and we got him the benefits and he needed, he looked at me and he said, you made this easy. And that is a, a quote that resonates in my head. It's something I think about every day. And I know how hard the system can be. I know how hard obtaining the benefits that are afforded to you could be. Um, and the fact that I can make it easy for people to obtain the benefits that they deserve, that's what motivates me every day. I spoke recently to Will, a Border Patrol agent out of San Diego. He actually serves all three of these roles. He's a chaplain, a peer support member, and a veteran support member. Will doesn't feel that he chose this role that he now serves, more that it was something that chose him. Uh, I am an Army veteran. Uh, I did suffer through my own issues. Uh, and something that I learned through working out through my own issues of survivor's guilt and PTSD is that the, the story I've told to other veterans and to other law enforcement individuals and staff, that story of, of my, my battle never touched on the whole picture. The whole picture included my wife and my children who suffered uh, because of what I was going through, because of my resistance to get help. My oldest who was just a baby at that time, had to learn how to read emotions. She had, she, by age five, had to ask herself serious questions like, uh, can I play outside or should I just stay in my room because daddy's home? She had to gauge where I was emotionally. My wife, she felt like she lived as a single parent, um, raising children, you know, raising our children, and we have three. Because of me, she, had her own version of post-traumatic stress that she had to work through. And that story isn't often told when we talk about what our men and women in uniform and law enforcement, uh, veterans and military, it's, it's not always touched upon. 
that there is a silent sufferer behind them. Anyone can suffer from trauma, whether it's from childhood or you know something stemming from work. And something I've learned along the way is it might not always be a physical issue. It might not be a post-traumatic stress issue. It might also be a moral injury that we face, especially in law enforcement, where we see things that affect our values, that, that challenge our values and, and uh, push our purpose. I want to do better in reaching out to those families. I want to do better in providing them the resources that are, that are already available to them, but they might not know. So um, whatever we can do, and I encourage those who are listening, if there is a way you know of, um, please reach out to the chaplaincy program, to peer support, to the veteran support, and help us. Again, here's the head of CBP's Suicide Prevention Program, Dr. Kent Corso. A few years ago, RAND completed a study for us looking at all suicides in CBP since 2007. And what the report determined was that there were 10 of the most common risk factors or triggers for CBP employee suicide. The first one was relationship problems, often including infidelity, but not always. Then after that, disciplinary history or perceiving that you might be in trouble or might have a discipline issue. Then alcohol and drug abuse or use, depression and other mental health issues, work stress, particularly fear of losing one's job, prior suicide attempts, physical illnesses, grief or bereavement issues, financial difficulties, and a family history of suicide attempts. Now, of those 10 risk factors or triggers, family history of suicide attempts and previous suicide attempts are the only two factors that are not really actionable. They are historical factors, not things that are happening today that we can mitigate. So that leaves us with eight areas of people's lives that cause them so much distress or lead to so much distress that they consider taking their lives. If you look at our employee assistance program page on CBP website, on SharePoint, we have everything from chaplain and peer support to family support, financial wellness, health and wellness, stress, anxiety, and depression prevention, substance misuse and abuse prevention. So essentially, those eight risk factors map directly to CBP's employee and family support programs. It's very methodically done to try to target those eight risk factors for suicide. So if you're a CBP employee in need of some support, seek out your local chaplain, peer support member, or veteran support member, or visit the CBP SharePoint homepage. Scroll down and click the link to the CBP Wellness and Resilience Programs. There you'll find EAP and all the other resources Dr. Corso mentioned. Remember, these same programs cover family members as well. And if you're not a current employee of CBP, but you're in need of help, let someone know. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is now the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, and you can reach it by dialing 988. Thanks for listening to part one of this two-part series on suicide prevention. 
Please listen to the next episode for more information on stress and anxiety prevention and how to go about asking someone else if they need help. And make sure to check out the CBP Suicide Awareness and Prevention Podcast as well.